you, Pastor. As we are studying the book of Revelation, uh, right now we are looking at John's vision of the heavenly Jerusalem. And that's what we find in Revelation 21.1 to 22 to 21. And last Wednesday, we saw all seven verses. So we'll quickly read those seven verses so that we can continue with the verse eight onwards. Uh, a new heaven and a new earth. <clears throat> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I'll be their God and they'll be my children. Those who are victorious will inherit the new heaven and the new earth. I will be their God and they will be my children. And now we are looking at verse eight. The verse eight starts with a warning. All, you know, there were promises, wonderful promises, but when it comes to verse eight, there is a warning, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So verse eight ends with a warning, warning for those who fail to overcome. Because in verse 7, it said, those who are victorious, those who overcome will inherit all this. But those who don't overcome, those who fail to overcome, they will be disobedient, they will be damned, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Uh, so ultimately, the fiery lake is the destination for all who will not inherit the new Jerusalem and the new creation. Those who are in, not in the new earth and new heaven will be, the, their destination will be the fiery lake. Uh, that's what John is writing here. And then he's, he's telling that this is their, <coughs> sorry, this is their second death. <coughs> the second death, contrast with the abolition of death. Because in the earlier, uh, if, you have, if you have noted carefully, in verse four, we read that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning. But for those who don't overcome, this will be their second death. There'll be mourning, fear, cry, everything will be there. And John is giving the list or a list of vices. Uh, this, is a, this is an a, a ancient practice. Uh, most of the ancient text, if, if you read, they contain a list of vices. So here he's just talking about the cowardly. Who are the cowardly? Uh, those who fear persecution, 
John says, they are the cowardly. I'm not giving you the reference number. Probably if you go to chapter 2, verse 10, uh, you will find that. Uh, those who fear persecution, John is calling them as cowardly. In other words, those who fear persecution and avoid that, they will not inherit. Uh, they are not the overcomers. Uh, that's the way John classifies the people because they do not revere God. They do not fear God. For them, you know, God is not more important. So that's cowardly means those who fear persecution, you can read chapter two, verse 10. And the second one, he says, the unbelieving, people who are faithless, because when they were tested, they couldn't pass the test. Um, as children of God, we will be tested. Our faith will be tested. Um, our faith will be tried. And when we don't, Pass the test. Uh, we come under the. the we have the, you know, those who don't pass the test. They are classified as unbelieving. There are several. It's all from the book of Revelation. Uh, you can go to verse chapter two, verse thirteen, verse nineteen. You can go to chapter thirteen, verse ten, and chapter fourteen, verse twelve. You know, all in all these places, you find the references to those. Who are those unbelieving? Uh, you'll find the explanation. Then he says the wild. Uh, the Greek word uh, translated as wild, we can also call it as abominations. Something which is disgusting before God. Uh, most often this word is applied to two categories or two sins. Uh, one is sexual immorality and idolatry. Both are wild, both are abominations, both are disgusting before God. Uh, and basically those who have compromised uh, with the emperor worship, that, that was what was happening in those days. So those who compromised with the cult of the emperor, emperor is the Lord and those who worship the emperor or other forms of paganism uh, because you cannot do business <clears throat> unless you become part of the, um, that market guild or the market association. You cannot become, uh, you cannot do trade. And if you have compromised for the sake of money, uh, they all come under this category of uh, wild. And those who follow the worldliness. There was so much of worldliness in the city of Rome. They're all, they all come in the category of abominable or wild category. Then uh, John is uh, saying that murderers, uh, murderers are definitely those who kill God's saints, God's people. They have, you know, God has an account of everyone's life. So the murderers, or those who kill God's saints. And there were people who betrayed Christians to the government. Uh, in fact, there were Jewish people who betrayed Christians to the government those days. Uh, all of them come under the category of murderers. Uh, <clears throat> sexually immoral, basically uh, in Revelation, it points to spiritual immorality. Uh, where, you know, when, we compromise our faith. When our allegiance is not to God, uh, that we are called as sexually immoral. immoral. Uh, then he uses those who practice magic arts. Uh, <clears throat> you know, this world will always throw some kind of seductive signs. If people are running after signs, they need to be careful. Uh, every sign is not from God. Uh, in fact, the Pharisees will ask uh, Jesus to show a sign. But Jesus did not show the sign. He said, except for uh, you know, Jonah who was in the fish for three days, you will not have any other sign. So people who run after this kind of uh, signs, uh, people who believe in 
some kind of power, um, you know, witchcraft, black magic, there are powers. Uh, we should not be so naive and say, you know, witchcraft means there's no power, black magic means no power. It will not affect us, but there are powers. Uh, there, these are all the deceptive tools of demons. Even today, all this uh, witchcraft, black magic, they all have powers. People are bound by these powers and people who run after these powers, uh, they all come under the category of those who practice uh, magic arts. These are all deceptive tools of uh, demons. And now, idolaters, also those who have succumbed to the demands of the imperial cult, that's the emperor worship, or those who worship the idols of the world system. Uh, then the last one is liars. They not only um, include false prophets like Balaam and Zezebel, but also those who falsely claim to follow the truth in contrast to the saints. Um, so it's a warning for all these people who fall under these categories. That's the warning. After describing the new heaven and the new earth, verse eight gives the warning. Those who do not overcome, they'll be damned. They'll be consigned to the fiery lake. That one verse gives that warning. And then from verse nine onwards, what he's talking is the new Jerusalem, the bride of the lamb, the glory of the new Jerusalem. He's describing the city. Uh, we should be very careful. Uh, uh, the rhetoricians, uh, people who were too good in speech and all, they showed off their skill in those days. Um, in fact, there was a training. Now, what we see that, you know, you want to develop your speech, public speaking like that you have. So those days they have something, the rhetoric skills. Uh, so uh, these rhetoricians, uh, they showed off their skill by describing and praising magnificent cities like Rome or Athens. Uh, there are poems written. Uh, they try to show off their skills. And we get a glimpse of that in this particular place where John is describing the new Jerusalem. You know, they give such clear descriptions that when you read those descriptions, you feel as though you're actually seeing the city. You're actually seeing that place. That's the way they describe uh, the city. Uh, the Old Testament also contained uh, such kind of descriptions of Jerusalem. Uh, in, in few places, we find that. Uh, one such example is Psalm 48, which gives a description of uh, Jerusalem. I will just uh, give you just uh, four verses. You can read the entire chapter. The entire chapter is a description of Jerusalem. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish shattered by an east wind. Uh, in a time when people were not secure, when they were attacked from all directions, and when you find something like this, it encourages as you teach children, you know, you're living in that place and you say that, you know, God is the protector of the city. And then you describe this um, description when the kings joined forces, you know what happened when all the kings, they came together and they started advancing towards Jerusalem. But when they saw Jerusalem, they were astounded. The flooding terror, they just came together, but they just 
you know, they fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish shattered by an east wind. So this is the kind of genre, uh, this is the kind of thing that was in vogue uh, those days. Uh, so this kind of description is basically to help the believers uh, to grow in their faith. You know, you are going through all kinds of persecution. Remember the new Jerusalem, the bride of the lamb, what is kept for you? And John is describing the new Jerusalem. Like don't keep your eyes on the situation today, but keep your eyes on the things that is that are kept in store for you so that your faith, John is just encouraging them, people who have to walk into the arena to be killed by the animals. These are the passages which stirs, the, which stirs their faith and they go smiling, walking into the arena and the thousands and thousands of spectators watching them walking so calmly, quietly into the arena. And they ask, these people have something special. What is that? That, that's the description that we have. Uh, we, we need to keep our eyes on the new Jerusalem. We need to keep our eyes on the second coming of Jesus. We need to say that our life doesn't end here. We, it's, it's only a temporary journey. Our permanent destination is somewhere. Otherwise, we will also be overwhelmed with fear uncertainty. We need to prepare ourselves. Uh, we need to take our eyes off from this world and keep our eyes on God. And the more we keep our eyes on God and prepare ourselves, this world, anything that happens cannot overwhelm us. And that's what uh, happens. And that's what's there in the Bible. Basically, if you read Isaiah 54, 11 and 12, afflicted city, Lashed by storms and not comforted, I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. Because you're used to this poetic language, we'll not be able to appreciate that. So if you want to enjoy this, we have to develop our own uh, poetic skills. Now, you know, Isaiah says, your gates of sparkling jewels. Now, why I'm uh, bringing one or two references from the Old Testament is, how do we read the book of New Re you know, Revelation? Because if you are going to do a literal interpretation, we'll go wrong. Uh, let me give those introductory remarks before we go to the new Jerusalem. Now, Isaiah 54, 11, 12, he says, your gates of sparkling jewels and all your walls are precious stones. That's a description. We have to just enjoy it and take that. We should not do literal uh, interpretation, thinking that the gates sparkling jewels, uh, we should not go into the literal interpretation because Isaiah 60, uh, 60, 18 will say, no longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. We have to read this verse in this context. We have to read this verse in that context. And if we hold on to one uh, interpretation saying that, he has said gates of sparkling jewels and definitely there'll be sparkling jewels will go wrong. Uh, will go wrong. The focus is something. They, they use these terms to focus on something. That's what uh, we should try to see. What's John's idea when he writes this description? <clears throat> because now Isaiah says your gates of sparkling jewels and then he says your walls of salvation. And when he come to Zechariah, Zechariah says there'll be no gates, no wall. 
no, the, the, Jerusalem will be a city without walls. See, Jerusalem, Zechariah 2, 3 to 5, while the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I'll be its glory within. What? Was Isaiah wrong? Isaiah was not wrong. He's just describing. Uh, that's the way the poetic language is. So when we, when we interpret the Bible, we should understand where to interpret it literally or where to interpret it. It is a pictorial language. How do we understand it? Uh, we, should, we should be very careful about it. And if we take one verse and try to make a theology out of it, we'll go wrong. Because then if we say, yeah, the gates will be with sparkling jewels, and then when we come here, Jerusalem will be a city without walls, then how do you explain it? There'll be no walls because God himself will be a wall of fire around it. So that's the way uh, this poetic language work. Now, keep this in mind. And then John is describing New Jerusalem. He's describing that city. And let's enjoy the description without getting into the literal interpretation. Because if you get into the literal interpretation, we will be wrong. That's the reason why I gave you all these examples. So we'll go to Revelation chapter 21, 9. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, John is not going to, his entire focus is on New Jerusalem. He is going to describe it. Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. You know, in, in every wedding, people will, people will be waiting for the bride to come. Uh, they want to see the bride. The bridegroom will be sitting there half an hour before. No one will be looking at the bridegroom. They'll be waiting for the bride. So same, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And this is the same angel in chapter 17 who showed John the great prostitute Babylon. We have to connect it. If you go to chapter 17 and if you read, it will be the same angel who took uh, John and he took him into wilderness to show that great prostitute Babylon. But now he's being carried uh, by, the spirit, by the spirit to a great high mountain. Uh, you know, literally you cannot stand on that mountain and breathe. Uh, that's the description you will get to read in this place. And he wants to show the bride. Bride, who's the bride? The holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, nobody will say that a city can be a bride. These are all metaphorical language. You know, we know the church is bride. The city is bright. So John is using this metaphorical, he's exchanging, he's loosely using all these metaphors. And uh, we should see what is the focus, what is his main focus in this passage. Uh, because in, I said in uh, chapter 17, uh, the angel, one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I'll show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adultery. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and 10 horns. Keep this in mind. This is the description of the great prostitute. Okay, now there'll be a description of the great city, the city of Jerusalem, the, the wife of the lamb, the bride. 
you will find the description and, and you will find the contrast. You know, there is so much of contrast in the apocalyptic literature. We should constantly keep contrasting. You know, there the angel took John into a wilderness, but here it will not be in a wilderness. He'll be taking to the John to the top mountain to show that the bride coming out of heaven. <clears throat> Because in um, Revelation 14, 14, 1, then I looked and there before me was the lamp standing on Mount Zion and with him 1,44,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. We have to constantly contrast. We just cannot take one verse and enjoy the book of Revelation. As you contrast, you know, the evil will come to an end. Devil's days are numbered. He will, his end is determined, predetermined. So as children of God, with the glory that we will have because of the glory of God is it's something beyond imagination, beyond description. And that's what, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And John is going to describe the bride. How do you describe a bride? If you were to describe a bride, how will you describe a bride? And now John is describing the bride. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now, just because John, you know, even in verse two, he said uh, the heaven coming down does not mean that John saw this vision twice. He saw twice that heaven coming, um, you know, uh, this holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God twice. It's not, it doesn't mean like that. What John is telling is there is something significant about the city. This holy city of Jerusalem is, there's something characteristic of the city. There is something, the nature of the city itself is different. That's the focus. If you get into these details, oh, he there also he saw, there again he saw, we'll go wrong. He is just describing the glory of this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. He is not bothered about the kind of rules that we follow. Logic is Western type of education where we follow that one, two, three, four, a linear way of thinking. But in the ancient Near East, they never followed a logical way of describing. They just they had so much of emotions. They described, they are telling the glory of God. You forget about all the rules, grammar rules and all you forget. There's glory in the city. Come see the city. I saw the city. I just couldn't believe it with my eyes. That's, that's, uh, that is John's uh, description. And if we are, if we don't go with John's description, uh, we will we will just not get the, you know, the meaning of this description. In fact, the very purpose of this this passage, we will lose it. And that that that's something we should keep it in mind. And he is describing the city so precisely and beautifully. Uh, and that city is the bride. That city is the bride. We should keep this in mind. And how is the city? He's telling in the next verse, it shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. You know, you think Rome is rich? Oh, Rome just as you know, Rome doesn't even can come closer to the city, the brilliance of the city, the precious jewel. You think Rome was a rich city? Forget what God has kept in store for you. You think this world can give you riches? Not at all. What God has prepared for you is beyond, beyond our imagination. And he says, it, sh it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. 
Then he goes on to say in 12 to 14, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 nails of the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations on, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Do you notice anything strange in these verses? That names were on the gates were written the names. The wall of the city had 12 foundation and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, for us, I, I don't know, for some of us, it might uh, appear strange, but for John's readers, it was not at all a strange thing because in, the, in those days, uh, when the rich people, when they uh, funded the city building projects, uh, you invariably you'll have their names inscribed on them. Uh, what you have nowadays, whenever they lay the foundation, you have a plaque. Uh, when they inaugurate a city, they have a plaque. Like that, those days, poor has contributed more. In fact, um, these are all used as means for raising funds. Your name will be written. So for them, it was not at all strange. So on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and the city had 12 foundations and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. There is a continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You have the 12 tribes of Israel and you have in the, in the New Jerusalem, it's a continuity. It is, it, is, it is not apart from the Old Testament or it is not only the Old Testament. It is the 12 tribes of Israel as well as the apostles of the Lamb. Um, many Roman towns apparently had three gates, uh, one for the entry and two for the exit. But here you have 12 gates meaning thereby it is open to everybody. The city is open. If people want to come, they are most welcome. It is, it's kind of like God is inviting people to himself. It is not that God is stopping them. God is not stopping them. Uh, as I said, hell is not God's choice uh, for people. It is people themselves, they choose to go to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. He is a loving God. There are 12 gates. It's open, open for everybody to come to God so that they can live with him for ever and ever. Now, in the, in the early church or in the, in the first century church, they, they, they're always, they said church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets uh, who revealed Jesus' message. So the apostolic's role and the 12 tribes of Israel, that's the continuity goes on into the new uh, Jerusalem. We come to the next verse, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. Uh, basically the measuring rod comes from the book of Ezekiel. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it is just to, uh, in Ezekiel 43, it says, he took me there and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. There is a continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, in the book of Ezekiel, it talks about the building of a new temple. And here, here there is no temple. In the new city, there is no temple. But uh, there is that continuity. Uh, all the measurements, if you see that they're all in great proportions and it invites some kind of awe when we read those 
measurements. In, 20, in verse 21, 16, he says, the city was laid out like a square. As long as it was as long as it was wide, he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. Uh, basically, if we see in the NIV footnotes, it will say the city measures about 1,400 miles or about 2,200 kilometers in length, in breadth, and in height. Uh, so these dimensions are equal in all sides. It shows it is a kind of, uh, it, it's a kind of a cube. Uh, that's what we can make up. Uh, because in 1 Kings <clears throat> 6.20, the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide and 20 high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold and he also overlaid the altar of Seda. This was only a temple, the inner sanctuary. He's talking about a city. The measurements here and the measurements here, uh, you know, it is, it's multiple times bigger um, in this place. <clears throat> now, in the ancient times, cube was considered to be perfect of all geometric forms. Cube was considered as something perfect. You know, when length, width, height, everything is same, so it is considered as perfect. So by using this kind of language, John wants us to understand that um, heavenly Jerusalem is absolutely perfect. When God comes and lives with his people, the entire atmosphere will be perfect. There'll be harmony. There'll be symmetry of all sides. There'll be no tear, no fear, no death. John is describing that city. That's the language John is using here. Now, none of these descriptions is literal. People take and they tend to say, they measure and they say, oh, it can hold 1,44,000. No, no, this is not supposed to be literal at all. Uh, it cannot be literal because if you are going to stand on a mountain, um, which is 2,200 kilometers high, we will not be able to breathe. You cannot stand on a mountain so high and breathe. It's, it's impossible. Uh, if you take Everest, uh, if you see above sea, you know, sea level, if you see that, it's, 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 they say it is just six miles above sea level. That's what they say. But if you're going to stand on a city that is 1,400 miles high, humanly not possible. So these figures are not, uh, not supposed to be literal. Uh, he's just telling, probably he's telling that uh, what humanity could not accomplish in Babel. What did they say? We will build a tower that will reach to the skies. What human beings could not accomplish, maybe God is uh, granting it as an overwhelming gift. Uh, this city, a human beings have no role in the city. It's a city, it's coming out of heaven. So everything is made by God. It's, it's a work of God. It's a product of God. So it's so glorious. That's, that's the message that we get uh, in these verses. And if you go to 2117, the angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. Uh, the wall is quite disproportionate when we consider that a city of 1500 miles high or 1400 miles high. Uh, but just to say that important cities in the ancient days, they had walls. So John is just using that uh, language. Uh, John has to use this language because John is talking about gates, uh, 12 gates, he said. You cannot have gates without walls. So John is using. So we should not make it as a literal thing. Definitely there'll be 12 gates. I'll go around and I count 
I don't think we'll be able to uh, come to that kind of uh, conclusion because in Zechariah it says there'll be no walls. God himself will be the uh, wall of fire. And we want God to be wall of fire around us rather than a wall because when God is around us and today let me assure you, God is that protection for all of us. Uh, he is like a wall of fire of each one of us. I pray that as we read this new Jerusalem, we don't have to go to this new Jerusalem to experience that new, uh, that wall. Right now, he's the wall of fire around us and his favor surrounds us like a wall. Uh, let's, let's know this God. He's a great God. He's a wonderful God. And I pray that God will open the eyes of our hearts to see hearts to see this great, great God. We are serving this great God. Let this be our desire to know him more and more and more. As we read the description of the city, let us draw, let it draw us closer to this great God who seated on the throne. Um, then he says, in 21, 18, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as gold. You know, Jewish descriptions, if you read, uh, whenever they talked about Jerusalem, they always talked about costly stones being used. So it is pure gold, pure as glass. Sometimes in the ancient uh, in ancient times, sometimes they used metal as mirrors. And um, so you can understand the quality of mirror. When the glass they had, uh, they didn't reflect the image clearly. So now John is talking about gold, pure gold. So pure gold as pure as gold, glass, mean to say it will give perfect uh, reflection. And he says the wall was made of jasper. Uh, if you remember, when we were studying the throne of God in Revelation chapter four, we studied the throne of God. Then he says, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. So John is basically just describing. How do you describe God? In earthly language, how do you describe? He's God. Human language is limited when it comes to describing God. So the most that they could describe was these precious jewels, these metals. You know, only very few people could even have the kings. You know, they had the metals like this. The temple, the temple that was built, they had. So they're just describing the glory of God. We go to the next verse, 19 and 20. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. You know, basically, he has taken a list from the Old Testament. You know, the 12 stones were normally used in the Old Testament when we read the Exodus uh, to signify the 12 tribes. Uh, the image is also from the book of Isaiah, uh, where he says in Isaiah 54, 11, 12, afflicted city lashed out by storms and not comforted. I'll rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapses, uh, lazuli. I'll make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and your all your walls of precious stones. Uh, basically, uh, John is taking a list from the book of, uh, from the Old Testament. If you go to Ezekiel, it is there in Exodus. If you read from the priest breastplate, uh, if you read Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 to 20, Exodus 28, 17 to 20, you have the a list of stones. And when you come to Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13, uh, he's talking about the tire, 
Tyre was a very rich country, uh, but it was ultimately destroyed. So he is describing the, when the city was described, uh, you find the mention of the 12 stones. Uh, but John, what he's doing is, he's omitting some of the stones from this list. Uh, he's taking nine that are common in both this list. And he's adding that, he's putting that in this place. Uh, he's basically comparing. Tyre was considered as a very great economic power. Ultimately, it was destroyed. Ultimately, what God has kept for you is beyond comparison, what you have seen so far. It'll surpass everything that you can imagine. That is the message that John wants to uh, give us. When I, when I read uh, Revelation chapter 17, the description of the prostitute, you know, the description was the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with glow, gold, precious stones and pearls. Uh, she held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Her description and the description here, uh, there is no match between these descriptions. So there is a contrast, contrast between the city of Babylon and the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, you know, nobody can come closer to the city of Jerusalem. So he says in the next verse, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Imagine each gate is just a single pearl. Each gate made of a single pearl. The great city of the city was of gold as pure as transparent glass. He's just describing because um, the great city of the great street of the city was of gold as pure as transparent glass. Uh, in the ancient times, the cities, the streets were not paved. Um, in the wet season, you know, the streets were full of mud. Uh, in other seasons, it's full of dust. And what a contrast to the new Jerusalem. In the new Jerusalem, the redeemed will walk on the streets of gold. Comparison, it's a glorious city. Nothing that we see today compares to what is kept for us in the new uh, Jerusalem. Uh, he is just asking us to imagine. Imagine whatever you see in this world, if something in this world attracts us, there is something much, there's much more beautiful than what we see in this world is kept for us. What God has prepared for his people. So for all that, we should have some imaginative skill if you want to enjoy this passage. Interestingly, in the next verse, he says, after describing all this, he says, I, in verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. From the Old Testament, the focus is on the temple, temple, and in the New Testament, the believers are the temple, and in the New Jerusalem, I did not see a temple in the city. Uh, in fact, in Judaism, they, they pray every day for the restoration and the renewal of the temple. But in the New Jerusalem, some people think the temple has to be built and they'll go with so many passages. But in the New Jerusalem, there'll be no temple. There'll be no temple because the whole city is God's temple. The whole city is God's dwelling place and God is its temple in that place. God lives among the people and they live in him. Now, that is the reality we have right now because we are the temple of the living God. God lives in us. But in the new Jerusalem, it's going to be, he's taking us, uh, he's taking us to a deeper level. Uh, what, we, what we cannot experience here, we'll experience, what we experience, we do experience God's presence with us, but we will experience God's presence to such magnitude, we will be consumed 
by his glory. We will stand in awe of him. Uh, we do it. We do encounter the presence of God, but we will encounter it on a continual basis and in such an intense manner that we will be consumed by God's presence. And that's the temple because where God is, there is the temple. And then he says in the next verse, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the lamp is its lamp. Uh, earlier we have said there'll be no sun, there'll be no moon, but what basically uh, John wants us to understand is the entire created order now will walk in explicit dependence on God. Entire created order, whether it is sun, moon, trees, water, whatever it is, they'll all depend on God. There'll be so much of dependence on God. That is the message that he wants to convey in this verse. So he says, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. People will come at the name of Jesus. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. The name of Jesus, every knee will bow down. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. If you are talking about wealth, you have no idea about the wealth that is there in New Jerusalem. Uh, and then he goes on to say in 25, 26, on no day will its gates ever be shut for there'll be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Yeah, in the ancient times, uh, by, by evening, they used to shut the city gates uh, the village, the business people, the aliens, uh, the prostitutes, they all can enter the city. But by evening, they all have to leave the city and the gates will be locked. But in the New Jerusalem, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be uh, brought into it. Uh, night basically was, you know, in the biblical language, night was always associated with sorcery, uh, demons, robbers. Um, so night was not considered as a safe time. Uh, don't we also, uh, we also tell them, if you're going out, come as quick as possible. Uh, if you're especially in a village and all, before it gets dark, get home. This is what we have been taught. This is what we have heard because after, after the sunset, it is not safe to be outside. So, but here in the New Jerusalem, the gates will not be shut because it will be safe both day and night because now God is going to dwell with them. That's the language uh, John is using. And then he says, the last verse, he says, nothing impure will enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What is, most, what is more important is we have to see that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of uh, Life. Nothing impure will enter that city. No evil will enter that city. So it's going to be a pure, pure city because God is going to dwell with us. Uh, I have completed. If you have any questions, you can ask. Pastor, I have a question, Pastor. Yes, Pastor. Uh, Pastor, in uh, Revelation 21, and uh, you said we read that uh, verse uh, 9. Uh, second later part of verse 9 I will show you the bride the lamb's wife and uh, then he goes on to show the great city okay um, he, he goes on to show the great city and uh, uh, when he mentioned the lamb's uh, wife um, it means the, the the city and its inhabitants 
That's the new Jerusalem. Is it possible? Yeah, Bob. As I said, um, in the in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, if you read, the church is the bride. Mm. Uh, the church is the bride. So John here is using the city as the bride. So John is using the metaphor. So when it's talking about the city, it is it is this, the inhabitants of the city. When we when we are talking about New Jerusalem, it's all about the people who are living in New Jerusalem. The description applies to all the believers in New Jerusalem. Okay. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor, what yes. is the difference between Jerusalem and New Jerusalem? Delhi and Old Delhi and New Delhi. <laughs> uh, mm. the, the difference is uh, what we had in the Old Jerusalem. You had a temple, you had a sacrifice, and Jesus was um, crucified in the Old Jerusalem. And he is going to renew that um, new, you know, uh, we have to start from the beginning. Uh, God is progressively revealing himself. And God first delivered them from Egypt and he, he delivered them. He brought them out. And on Mount Sinai, he reveals himself. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments. And then we have the tabernacle which is considered to be uh, God's dwelling place. You have the ark. Um, then when they came to Jerusalem, they had a temple. And then with the coming of Jesus, Jesus said, you, are, you know, it's no longer, and on the day Jesus was crucified, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to down, meaning thereby till now, your presence was, you know, you always came to this temple in search of me. Uh, but hereafter, you know, I am the way and the truth. You want to come to God, I am the way. So now that Jerusalem is going to be consummated, uh, we are going to actually experience in a higher way uh, that Jerusalem. That's the new Jerusalem. It is, we are not getting into the geographical location because the, the new earth is New Jerusalem. Thank you. Okay, um, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Uh, anyone has any prayer request? Okay. Really. I have a pastor friend in Chennai. Uh, uh, his, he and his wife's, uh, both, uh, wife, uh, both of them are COVID positive. His wife is in uh, ICU for last six months and she is having some yes. lung, six days, sorry, and a lung infection and uh, breathing trouble. Saturation is low. So we want you to pray for a miracle. His, her name is Betty. His name is Nyanashir. I'll pray. <laughs> Glorious Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening. Oh Lord, we lift up uh, Sister Betty before you, oh God, as a community. We lift her up before you as she's struggling for her life in the ICU. We pray, Lord, you will speak a word of life into her body. We pray, we pray Lord, you'll bring her out from ICU. We pray, Lord, you're a compassionate God. We pray you'll heal her, heal both pastor and his wife. Oh God, bless them. Provide for them in this difficult time. Oh God, let them enjoy your favor. We also pray for several families who are going through difficult times, oh Lord, just looking for a bed, looking for oxygen, people who are on the pavement, people who don't know how to cremate their dead bodies. Oh God, people are struggling. We ask for your compassion, O oh Lord, as your children, they cry out to you. We pray, Lord, you will help them in a unique way. 
Oh God, in the midst of all this, we pray you will encourage them, you will comfort them, you will guide them, you will see them. We pray, Lord, you will protect each one of us from this virus. Oh Lord, protection comes from you and you alone. I pray you will bless each and every one of us, our family members from COVID-19. You have been a good, good God. We bless your name. Teach us to keep our eyes fixed on you, O oh God, to look forward to that glorious city that you have prepared for us. When, Lord, we can come and dwell with you, you will dwell with us. And Lord, we pray you will give us that understanding. Bless us together in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, unfailing love of our Heavenly Father, and the ever-abiding fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen.